Children are making their way uh, back and, and downstairs. Uh, Millie Jones is set to have surgery on her eye tomorrow. Uh, she can't really see too well out of it right now, so please be praying that the surgery will correct that. She'll be able to see. Uh, she is here today. She's in the back. Uh, so you, before you leave, take a chance to, to say hi to her and say, I'm, I'm praying for you about that tomorrow, all right? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And we know that each of the paths that you have put each of us on cross other people's paths. And they all meet here today in your house with your word. Lord, we thank you that your word spans ages and millennia and cultures and societies and histories, and futures. Lord, that it is relevant, and it teaches us such treasured truth that we can take and make a part of our lives. I pray that you'd open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning, that your truth would be seeds planted deep within our hearts, and that they would bear real fruit in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story told about the great British preacher C.H. Spurgeon. You've heard lots and lots of stories about Spurgeon, I'm sure, but maybe you haven't heard this one before. He and his wife owned several chickens, but not once did they ever give any of the eggs they received from those chickens away to anybody. They would only sell them. They would never give them away to anybody, much to the consternation of their fellow townsfolk. The Spurgeon's neighbors took note of their stinginess and weren't ashamed to pass it along to, uh, to anyone who uh, started a conversation up with them. The amazing thing is that the Spurgeons knew of the town's gossip about them, but never said a word about it, never defended themselves in any way. It was only after the death of Mrs. Spurgeon that what was really going on came to light. The reason that the Spurgeons would never give any of their eggs away to their fellow neighbors but would only sell them was because they would never keep any of the profit from the sale of those eggs. But they passed along every penny of it to a couple of widows that they knew were in need. The Spurgeons' neighbors thought they had the entire situation completely figured out and resented the Spurgeons for it. But how things seemed to the townspeople was not how things were at all. When I first saw this word kindness come up in this list of the fruits of the Spirit, I thought, how in the world am I going to give an entire sermon based on the word kindness? should be pretty straightforward, right? As if contained to a bumper sticker. Just be nice to everyone. And I could close my Bible up and walk off stage and dismiss everyone. That would be the shortest sermon you would have heard from me. You might have thought that when you read over the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness? I know what that one means. That one's easy. 
We're going to delve into this fruit known in the English translations as kindness. And we're going to see that there's much more going on that God is growing us into than first meets the eye. And the first point that we come to as we take a look at this fruit is what it is. What kindness really is. For some reason, when I, when I first heard the, hear the word kind, maybe you do this, maybe you don't, uh, but the, the, I automatically think of the phrase, be kind, please what? Rewind, right? <laughs> be kind, please rewind. Those who grew up with VCRs, VHSs, and video rental stores will understand why. But kindness goes way beyond simply just being courteous to the next person who will be renting that videotape after you. I know it's a simple illustration, but it helps to understand what kindness is not. When you rented a videotape, you had a choice to rewind it before returning it to the store or not rewinding it before you returned it to the store. The VCR we had in my house was actually inherited as my aunt's old VCR. So by the time we got it, it was already pretty old. If you wanted to record something off the TV, you had to use a remote that plugged into the VCR with a wire that had only three big buttons on it. That's what you use to record something off the TV. My point is, because the VCR was so old, my dad told us kids that we could not rewind a videotape in it to return it to the store, or we'd ruin the tape or the VCR. So we, went out, so we went out and bought a separate machine, maybe some of you had this, whose only purpose was to rewind or fast forward videotapes. That was its only purpose. That's what we used to rewind the videotapes. It was a whole other thing you had to do before returning that videotape to the rental store. And you know what? Sometimes I just didn't feel like rewinding that videotape. But true godly kindness cannot be limited to when you feel or don't feel like being it or doing it. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. That's why Paul lists it along with all these other fruits. It's a way of life. A way of life in what way? Well, first we need to look up what word is used in the Greek that is also often translated in, as kindness. It's the same word that's used in Romans 3.12. This will help us understand it a little bit better. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That phrase, does good, is the same word that Paul uses for kindness. That same word, does good, is the same word that Paul uses for kindness. So in our quest to understand what kindness really is, to begin with, we find out what kindness is, that kindness is directly connected with doing good. In other words, kindness cannot only be limited to what you say to someone. Let that sink in. True kindness cannot only be limited to what you say to someone. True kindness is lived out in action by doing good. Now, if I asked you what the opposite of kindness is, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Probably the word meanness, right? If I asked you what the opposite of kindness was, you'd say being mean. On the surface, we automatically think that not being kind to someone is being mean to them. That's the opposite. 
But do you notice what else is included in Romans 3.12, which is a direct quote from Psalm 14.3? Those who do not do good things are what? Useless. Those who do not do good things are useless. In Psalm 14.3, the Hebrew word is translated as corrupt. They're both the same meaning, useless and corrupt. Here's why. In Romans 3.12, the Greek word used for useless is a descriptive word that carries with it the meaning of milk turning sour. At that point, the milk is both corrupt in its state and therefore it's what? Useless. Who here would enjoy drinking some milk that's turned sour, much less enjoy it? You'd probably throw up from the smell before you got it anywhere close to your mouth, right? So if the same word for kindness is also used to describe good deeds, what does that say about someone who doesn't pursue kindness in their interactions with others? That they have the same effectiveness as putrid, spoiled milk. That's pretty poignant, wouldn't you say? Paul usually uses pretty strong language when he tries to get things across, doesn't he? What does that mean about kindness? A, kindness is not natural to us as, fa as fallen human beings. That's what we find out from Romans 3.12. Kindness is not natural to us as, human, as fallen human beings. B, Naturally, as humans, we're about as useful as disgusting sour milk. C. According to Paul in our passage this morning, useful kindness needs to be grown in us. And D. Kindness is a working fruit. It's not passive. You cannot accidentally fall into kindness. It's active. It means that you cannot choose or not choose to show kindness to someone depending on how you feel because when you choose not to show kindness to someone, you're automatically as useful for the kingdom of God as putrid, stomach-turning, spoiled milk. So even though it's grown in us, it needs to be sought to be grown in us. We need to cultivate an environment in which kindness can be shown. Not only that, but we need to look for opportunities to show kindness. Look for opportunities to show kindness. In other words, kindness is the public showing of the other fruits of the Spirit, which we already read. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness is the public active showing of those to others. Th furthermore, besides the two we've already discussed, there are only eight other instances of this word for kindness in the New Testament. So only ten instances total. And the other instances, the other eight instances reveal much to us in terms of the extent of kindness. So we have what it is. Secondly, we have where it comes from. Here are just a few examples of the other eight instances of this word for kindness in the New Testament. Romans 2.4 Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness 
and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness, riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again, in order for us to truly understand what kindness is, just like with all the other fruits of the Spirit we've been discussing lately, we need to look at who God is, but especially at who God is towards us. In direct connection with this discussion is this, is this verse. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the extent of God's kindness extended even to his what? His enemies. And who were his enemies? Us. So if God's kindness even extended towards his enemies, again us, who should be the limit to our kindness? Those who have rubbed us the wrong way, those who usually stay on our good sides, those who we agree with on any given topic, including doctrinally, socially, or dare I say, <gasps> politically. The correct answer is that in the same way that we were outright enemies of God, yet he has lavished his kindness towards us, the same limit, or rather limitless, amount of kindness needs to be shown by us, and as God's children, so much more towards those we don't usually like. Now that we know the limit, or rather unlimit, of true kindness, what else do we learn from these other instances of kindness in the New Testament? Secondly, that just not being mean towards someone else, cannot be misconstrued as kindness towards that person. We like to excuse away not going out of our way to show kindness towards someone we don't like by saying, well, at least I held my tongue around them. At least I didn't say what I wanted to say. Good for you. But would you have wanted God to look at you as you were still an enemy of him because of your sin and have God say, well, at least, at least I didn't smite them the first time they crossed me? Would you have wanted God to do, have done that? No. Or would you have wanted God to go out of his way to suffer the heartbreak of turning his back on his son as his son hung tortuously upon the cross to save you as his enemy and make you one of his children? That's kindness. According to Paul's letter to the Romans, that's the ultimate definition of kindness. That of going out of your way to show love to someone else, especially when they don't deserve it. I said, 
That is way too much, Pastor. I cannot handle that. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. That's why it needs to be grown in us. Just as we are infinitely grateful for the riches of God's kindness towards us when we did not deserve it, who are we to withhold that from someone whom we define as not worth it? Aren't you glad God didn't consider you not worth it? To pour out the kindness of his salvation onto? So we have what kindness is, we have where it comes from, and thirdly, what that means. Titus reveals to us an incredible truth about God's kindness towards us. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you notice all those commas in there? Let's read this starting from, from verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. All of these things God has done for us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us, again, which we don't, didn't deserve, upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All of that while we were still enemies of him. Why? Because of the kindness of God. All of that, all of these things that follow the first five words of this verse is a manifestation of God's kindness towards us. But most importantly, what is the channel through which God shows that kindness? It, uh, Paul tells us outright in verse 6 right there, that in, in that first verse there on that screen. What is the channel that God uses to pour that kindness out upon us? Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is huge in connection with the topic of kindness, and I want you to stay with me. I purposely saved this until the end because it's the most incredible revelation of what kindness really is. This really blew my mind when I discovered this. This is the Greek word that is translated as kindness in the English. Some of you are going to get this right away. Krestotes. If you got, haven't gotten it yet, maybe this will help. Crestates comes from the word crestos. Now what does that word look like? Christos. It looks very similar to Christos, the Greek word for Christ. In fact, one well-known conservative biblical scholar made this observation, and I quote, Christos appears as a spelling variant for the unfamiliar Christos. In Greek, the two words were pronounced alike. They were pronounced the exact same way. The Greek word for kindness and Christ. Now here's something that blows our limited human understanding of kindness right out of the water. 
Krestos, or kindness, was a common name for servants in the Greco-Roman world. Krestos, or kindness, was a common name for servants in the Greco-Roman world. Why was that? A servant would be given the name Krestos as a best-case scenario anticipation for that servant, that that servant would be the most useful in doing good. That's where we connect to the beginning of this message, that that servant would be the most useful in doing good. Wasn't that exactly how Paul described kindness in Romans 3? So what do we learn from these discoveries? First of all, kindness is directly connected to service and being a servant. A servant to whom? God first, but because of that, who else? Everyone else. That's an incredibly difficult thing to hear, isn't it? Don't believe me? The servanthood of kindness, as it is another word for, is ultimately found in Christ. What did Titus describe God's kindness towards us? Remember, his enemies as being through Christ, right? What position did Jesus take on the first time he broke into our world? That of a servant. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and even to go so far as to give his life a ransom for many. So what is kindness? That's it right there. That's kindness. What does that mean? It means that kindness is not a clock-in, clock-out way of life. Because kindness is done through serving others, it is who we are. That is who we are to be. We are always on the clock, so to speak. What else does that mean? Seeing others is more important than yourselves in love and going out of your way to treat them that way, which is what Christ-like servanthood is all about, is what kindness is. Jesus didn't need to heal people from their blindness, inability to walk, or fatal illnesses, did he? Jesus didn't need to touch in order to heal some guys who had leprosy for fear of contracting it himself. Jesus didn't need to watch, wash his disciples' gross feet, did he? And as Paul will describe in his letter to the Philippians, Jesus didn't have to go willingly to be arrested, spit upon, severely beaten, have his beard follicles ripped out of his face, mocked and humiliated, have his back torn up with pieces of shattered glass, carry his own cross as far as he physically could, and have railroad spikes pounded through his hands and feet to a rough and splintery cross. He didn't have to do any of that, especially for his enemies. He didn't have to willingly give himself to once again his enemies, us, die and die in the way that he did. But he did all of those things and so much more out of what? Humble kindness. 
That's what Paul says God is calling each and every one of his children as Jesus' followers. Those who are to pick up their own cross and do what? Follow him too. Christ-like, humble, and serving kindness towards everyone and anyone, regardless of who they are, what they've done, or what they've done to us. Or do we not know what suffering for Christ also includes? Kindness is also useful as a good servant of God. Kindness does not merely say, kindness does. Kindness actively does good for others that God also created in his image. Jesus said the law of God was summed up in what two commandments? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So to be a useful servant for God, we need to usefully, practically, and actively show that love to others through kindness. This humble serving kindness, once again, is not natural for us. I think any one of us would admit to that in a heartbeat, that that humble Practical kindness does not come naturally to us. That's not an excuse. That's a prayer, isn't it? That's a calling. That's God growing it in us and us seeking to have that grown in us. Like referenced before, that's looking for opportunities to not just say, but to show humble and serving kindness towards others. What does that look like? Again, look at what your heavenly Father and your King Jesus have done, are doing, and will do for you. Look at the undeserved love and the comfort and the peace and the patience and the understanding and the compassion and the sympathy and the provision and the gentleness and the joy that God gives to you every day. Look at the faithfulness he shows to you every day. That's the kindness we need to show to everyone we come in contact with every day. Now let's get uncomfortable again. Some of you are thinking, I've been uncomfortable this entire time. What are you talking about? As with all the other fruits of the Spirit, if I gathered up everyone you have usual contact with, some of you say, oh boy, here we go. And I asked them, is this a kind person? That is, can you see that they go out of their way to humbly serve you? What would they say? Now what if I gathered the last telemarketer, the last customer service representative, the last bank teller, the last retail employee, the last mechanic, or the last warranty department representative you spoke with and asked them, was this person kind to you? What would they say? Now if I talked with the last person you passed who was visibly in need and asked them, did this person show humble, serving kindness to you? If all they can say is, well, they said hi to me and told me to have a nice day, 
that wasn't actual kindness because you were just as useful to them in their time of need, remember, as sour milk would have been to them in their time of need. Let's be a people whose knee-jerk reaction or without thinking response is automatic kindness. Humble, practical, serving kindness. Let us be known by that. Not through our own power, but as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.22, but by God's power, God growing that in us. Let us be a people who actively look for opportunities for God to grow kindness in us and therefore for us to show that kindness. See, it's easy to be kind towards those who deserve it, who are nice, who we like. But if God only showed kindness towards those who deserved it and those he liked, we'd still be left with no hope, wouldn't we? Let's be a people who radiate kindness and lead others closer to also wanting a relationship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection because of that kindness they experienced from his children who experienced it first from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is moving in us right now and is churning us, is churning in us. Help us to see our need to have this kindness grown in us, this fruit of the Spirit. Help us to look for opportunities to have this fruit of the Spirit grown in us, to have it be strengthened to have it grow tenfold. Lord, I pray that you would give us the power to see what needs to be changed and to change it. Lord, I pray that you would give us the power to be a people whose knee-jerk and automatic response is humble, practical, useful kindness in the way that you first showed it to us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our time with the...